This Week in Startups is brought to you by LinkedIn. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. Go to linkedin.com slash twist and get a $50 credit towards your first job post. Captera, the leading free online resource to find the best software solutions. Visit captera.com slash twist for free today to find the right tools to make 2020 the year for your business. And Help Scout, the customer service platform built for starting and scaling up. Eligible startups get Help Scout for only $50 a month for their first 12 months. Visit helpscout.com slash twist to learn more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Startups. I'm your host, Jason Calacanis, and I am on fire right now. Listen, working hard is how you win. There's a bunch of dipshits on the Twitter at this very moment telling you to have balance in your life and that that's what's important if you're running a company. Wrong. If you're that balance in life is important. If you're running in a company, it is an Olympic caliber sport. It's going to be really effing hard. And a bunch of rich people who are pulling the ladder up behind you and giving you terrible advice, telling you you need balance in your life, are doing you a huge disservice. I am not going to lie to you. I never have in over a thousand episodes of this podcast, which is why you stop me when I'm in line on the ski lift or at Starbucks or wasting $7 at Phil's getting that mojito thing. Freaking delicious. You need to work hard. There's a direct correlation between hard work and success in this world. Look at Draymond Green. $100 million contract drafted in the second round. And he's killing it. And everybody wants him to come to their team because he works hard. My next guest has been working tirelessly on Zumper. Z-U-M-P-E-R dot com. If you're a young person getting an apartment, you know what it is. If you're an old person who owns a home, you probably don't because you're not renting anymore. His name is Anthemos Giordadis. Giordadis. That's great. Well, how does your mom pronounce it? So Greek father, Briti- British accent because of the British mother. Uh, Giordadis. Giordadis, which is a little, Giordadis. little harder. Giordadis. <laughs> yes, that's perfect. Anthemos Giordadis. <laughs> I, I'll say Giordadis because we, with the G is kind of. That's right. The, yeah, Giordadis. Um, and you founded Zumper back in 2009. 2012, actually. 2012. 2012. Uh, sorry, my uh, researcher got it wrong in the notes. <laughs> I thought it was 2012 because you were at TechCrunch Disrupt, right? You launched it there. That's right. Somehow we came runner-up in like the Battlefield competition when we really had nothing at the time. Uh, it was the one that uh, your mechanic won, if you remember those. Guys. I remember. I w- almost invested in your mechanic. Yeah. I looked at that. I thought, this is a pretty good idea, having the mechanic come to your driveway. Yep. Um, is a great idea. Do you know what happened to that company? I think it's still going. I still think they going? shifted some of the founders into new roles and they uh, have a new management team. Still going. OGs, I think seven years in, I think we're the two from the class. If you look alive. at if you look at Tesla, um, they are doing, I think Elon said they can do like 80% of their repairs or whatever in the field. Hmm. So the last three or four times I've had to have something done, uh, let's say the last four times I had to do something done with my Teslas. I think half of the time was just done in my driveway, mm, which is a cool. huge unlock when you think about huge. it. Like to just and they're doing that in house, right? They're not contracting that out, or they're doing it like Tesla owns. I Tesla does it themselves. Yep. Yeah. So I think the idea behind Tesla is eventually going to be because I think they're doing collision now. In the early days, because I had some of the first ones, and I got a couple of dents here and there. I was like, Elon, how do we get these fixed? He's like, Yeah, I'm trying to find somebody who will do it for us. Like, yeah, here's a body shop. Here's a body shop, but it's made out of carbon fiber, so a yeah. lot of the stuff is hard. And I was like, Why don't you just put the stuff on a shelf? And I can just go to the Tesla factory and just take one of the panels. <laughs> and say, yeah, that's where we're going. And that's actually what they're going to do. Yeah. It's just 
swap them in or out. So you went to HBS, couldn't get into Stanford. Um, <laughs> that's my standard joke. Um, and then was this your first company coming out of Harvard Business School? Yes, yeah, my first company. Never thought I wanted to be a CEO, just as so many of your guests just like had a problem I wanted to solve that sucked in my life and just that's the path you take and now i'm done now it's and you like, were a business consultant when you're boston uh, or something was a bcg for, yeah and it was oh it was an, i know give me heat it how was how long did you do that for 18 months i, I survived 20 uh 30 months 30 two months. and a half years it's double yeah. what i would expect well you you open with work ethic and it's kind of crazy that you spend your 20s working i mean i really did work 21 yeah. hours a day for two and a half when you years. were at boston consulting group yeah and you're working bcg that's their is their idea to haze people <laughs> To do that, because it seems unnecessary to work to that level as these management consultants do. So Why is, do they do that? Yeah, it's an amazing job. I think these jobs are so client-focused that they will do whatever the client needs. And so when you're up at four in the morning at BCG or Bain or McKinsey, you're not doing the model. You're editing a slide with an appendix and a footnote that no one's going to read. But it's the they don't say no to the final percent, but that final percent takes the entire evening. So it teaches you a good work ethic, but also teaches you like, A, how to be 80-20, and B, like do something you love. Like you've got to do something you love if you right. work 21 hours a day. And to your dream on point with how you opened, like I think it's easy to work all day long if you just do a job that you feel passionate about where people appreciate you. Yeah. And like sometimes in consulting, not the vibe. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're Draymond Green and you work really hard uh, or you're working and you're playing basketball and you love the game, you like competing, it's not work. Yep. And that's the thing that's that it. these people are losing about when they give this stupid fakaka advice that you shouldn't work hard. It's like, well, if you love it, then what am I going to do? Stop doing what I love after yep. eight hours and then say, oh, because somebody who's literally worth $100 million on Twitter told me I need balance. That's what's important. Then I need to stop work at eight o'clock. Sometimes the best work gets done between the eighth and the 12th hour. Yep. Sometimes that's when the magic happens is when you're when you're grinding. Yeah, we were saying this before we started. Like Zumper, my favorite time is when we had 12 people when we used to come to a all-hands meeting because there was just no depth. Everyone was uniquely accountable for what we did every week. And when you showed up to a Monday morning meeting and we still do the same all-hands meeting every Monday, 12.30, we show every number in the business since day one. But back when we had 12 people, every person was uniquely accountable for a piece of the business. We have 200 people now, love my team. We're a much more like realistic, successful company now. And yet, how do you drive accountability when you have 200 people? How can you convince number 201 that she uniquely matters because she does, but it's really easy to, to just well, blend and it's, in? On a percentage basis, it's a hard story to it's get apart because story. if you're one out of 10, you're 10% of the team. If yep. you're one out of 100, you're 1%. Yep. And it is hard to find that meaning in it. Tell everybody what the or the origin story is of Zumper. Why did you start it? So Zumper was uh, founded out of pure frustration with apartment renting in my 20s. Uh, I grew up in London, moved to New York with BCG, moved to Boston for grad school. I think I moved seven times in my 20s and each time I thought search was okay. You can find, you can use Craigslist or Zillow or whatever to search for apartments. But I always found that actually when you found something you wanted, you were jettisoned into email ping pong with a property manager or a landlord or a broker why was there no e-commerce transaction for apartment rentals? Why is there no book button like there is an Airbnb in short-term rentals for a long-term lease? And so Zumper's founding mission was make renting an apartment as easy as booking a hotel. And that is uh, what we're squarely focused on. Yeah, I mean, if you just think about what Elon did with Tesla's, the ability to just go online and order one yep. and to put $500 and put a deposit, like literally the Ford Motor Company yep. is in year like, <laughs> how old is it? It's 100 what years yep. old. And they still can't let you go online yep. and order a product. I mean, this is why these companies are effed for all eternity. 
because their whole franchise model is so disgusting and horrific and anti-consumer. Yep. But you went to, are, are you able to run this in New York and places like that where it's a completely crooked, corrupt system where brokers – and I think this may have changed in the last couple of weeks yep. – but where brokers are basically pitting people against each other and then they tell you you got to put two months down, but then yep. at the last minute they say three months and they skim the third month and they – high-pressure tactics? That is like, exactly the problem we're fixing. When I moved to New York, I could not believe you're going to spend a third of your income on your rent. Even in New York, you're probably going to spend more than a third of your income on your rent. Yeah. Biggest transaction you make every year as a renter, 110 million in people in the US rent. They spend a third of their income on their rent in New York, it's even more. And they're being uh kind of duped at the final step. That is exactly the transparency the we want to bring. Every time. So uh in New York, for example, we work directly with landlords when we uh and we do it two ways. We either have kind of full serve or soft serve. Self-serve. Yeah. Some landlords want you to go do the photography and stuff. So we can send people in, we can put a lockbox or actually do a tour ourselves. More than happy to do that. Some landlords just want to self-serve. They just want to use the, our software, a bit like how they used to use Airbnb mm. host software to manage their business, collect their rent. Zumper does that for a landlord. And so mm. we offer landlords the ability to kind of do everything themselves or to get a bit of help to close stuff. But it was all ideally pointed to the renter, where the renter will feel like this is an e-commerce transaction, not just a random uh, piece of paperwork that goes into a pile. Which which city did you start with and why? Because this is a regional play. Yep. And each city is uniquely different in terms of their regulation slash corruption slash how the landlords behave. So yeah, so I was in, in between my two years at HPS, I came to San Francisco where I met my co-founder, uh, Taylor. And we started in San Francisco, which is a really, um, we'll probably get into this warped real estate city and the dynamics are bizarre, but the fundamental- You can take the words real estate out of that statement too. It's just it, a warped city. It yeah. is. It, we live in remarkable times in San Francisco. Yeah. It is It is changing very Bonkers. quickly. Um, and- Real estate here is uh, unique, very uh, strange. Sixty percent of stuff's rent controlled. Uh, there's some weird ordinances, but the fundamentals are still here. The landlords need vacancies filled, and they're very worried about like renters and their quality. And so, in San Francisco, we actually just tested: would renters in 2012 make offers on apartments on an online board? Would they just publicly make offers and? the landlord could then choose between risk and reward between kind of how credit worthy they were and what the price was. And we showed overwhelmingly landlords would do that. And so I think that was the fundamentals of this industry will look more like Airbnb was in that five your years. MVP that or... was the MVP. That was you just said, put it up there and just go ahead and make a bid. Oh man, it was so ugly as well. It was like yeah. just green website, like green back pages. For some yeah. reason we had everything green. I don't know why. It was the worst color scheme you could ever think of. Oh, it was so Terrible bad. on the web. Awful. And you said the UI was What's remarkable. green on the web? Tell me what's what's a website that's green on the web. So one of our competitors was green was Trulia, but it was I think they've been Trulia is a little green. Trulia yeah, is a, a little, little green. Splash yeah, of green. why is that? Is so purple's untrustworthy? I'm trying to think. Green Glassdoor is green. There you go. Glassdoor went heavy on little, green. Yeah, it's terrible. We, we were, next door has a little green. Next door has a lot of green. Yeah, we I mean, pr- like if you're doing a website about trail running, yeah, go ahead and green, but everything else is blue. Yeah, we ended up blue and magenta of course so we yeah we cool. used a, a really horrible mvp and i remember at TechCrunch disrupt we pitched it and i remember the editors at TechCrunch just, just before we were going before we were going on stage we ended up dumbing down what we pitched because we basically pitched this offerboard where it was not an auction at all we did not want to elevate prices we just wanted everyone to have full transparency that if someone had been to that apartment the night before and made an offer you knew what it was right. the problem was to the outside it could be mis- misconstrued as an auction and i remember uh, i think it was alex here at TechCrunch, kind of nearly vomited on us when we uh, pitched it before we went on stage because she was like this is pretty controversial and it was like actually very good feedback in retrospect that what we proved was that everyone wanted to be transactional online but we hadn't quite nailed the yeah. mechanism in which people did it 
Yeah, whenever you get into an auction or asking people what it's what they think it's going to be, um, it just slows things down. Yep. And it creates paralysis, doesn't it? Yep. Because now you see four different prices and you're like, okay, am I overpaying, underpaying? Yep. This is why like even True Car, which I liked and I'm friends with Scott Painter, I thought it was a brilliant idea in one way, but it also uh, increases your anxiety. Because you're like, oh my God, there's different prices for cars. Am I paying the right price? And now you're getting into this optimization yep. as opposed to closing. Yep, that's it. And sometimes with transparency, you can engender the wrong behavior. Because if you say to a renter, this is not an auction, but you're showing open prices, hmm. of course they're going to think it's an auction and right. they're going to bid up. And so we ended yeah. up doing something that was the very opposite of what we were trying to achieve, but we learned something from it. So then we scrapped that, literally built a search platform for four years. So the first four years of Zumper had nothing to do with transactional tools. We built what is now the largest private company in our space, will be used by kind of 85 million Americans this year to just search for apartments. And now a subset of our listings are transactional, meaning you can kind of pre-call and book them. And our job in the next few years is just make a subset of our transactions uh, the so majority of our platform. I want to understand when you're creating a marketplace like this, how you think about, when we get back from this quick break, when you focus on just building up the liquidity in the market, the number of listings, the number of brokers, the number of uh, renters, you know, because you have this two-sided marketplace... Uh, and maybe even three with the brokers. I'm interested in how they play a role in here. And then when you decide to monetize, you yep. get back on This Week in Startups. Hiring great people is the way to grow your business. You know this. But how do you do that and run your business at the same time? Hiring is a huge time suck. It's the biggest time suck. We all know that. I have a perfect solution for you to get talent right now. It's called LinkedIn Jobs, and it makes it simple and easy. They screen candidates with all the hard and soft skills that you need so you can hire the right person right now. LinkedIn looks beyond the work skills. No, it's not just that. They also put your job in front of qualified candidates who match your business requirements perfectly. Things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability. That's how LinkedIn makes sure your job post is seen by the people you want to hire. People with the skills, qualifications, and other interests that will help your business grow. And it's no wonder a person is hired every eight seconds with LinkedIn. Here's an example, Takeoffs.io, one of my portfolio companies that we found when we were in Sydney and they moved to the United States. They are an AI-enabled building materials marketplace. So if you're building something, they use AI to say, hey, here's how much wood, here's how many bricks you need. You get the idea. Well, they were looking for an AI engineering lead, which is a tough role to hire for because they required a very unique skill set. They used LinkedIn Talent Solutions to find a qualified candidate. In fact, somebody with a PhD in computer vision so they can look at these floor plans and figure out what you need in terms of materials. You get the idea. Well, that person has now been with them for over a year and they've rolled out several major projects, and they're like really been a game changer for Takeoffs.io. Examples like this are why companies rated LinkedIn Jobs the number one hiring platform for delivering quality hires. So here is your call to action. Find the right person for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want, and you'll get the first $50, 5 for free. Just visit linkedin.com slash twist. Again, that's linkedin.com slash T-W-I-S-T and get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions do apply because they're giving you a 50. All right, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, welcome back to This Week in Startups. I got Anthemos, the f- CEO and co-founder of Zumper, Z-U-M-P-E-R.com. When we left our hero after starting this company in 2012, I was wondering, a lot of people do marketplaces, a lot of people... 
uh, say, hey, listen, you got to have the fees baked in like Uber did or Airbnb. Another group of people say, hey, don't worry about that. Just get to critical mass and then later on turn on the transactions, transaction fees, and then take your VIG, uh, your take rate. How do you? How did you do it with Zumper? And what's your philosophy on this? So it was a great question. We were strongly the latter. So if you think about apartment rentals, um, if you don't feel like you see everything as a consumer, you're going to bounce. Like you're going to spend a third of your income on this transaction. If you go to a website that has 20% of the listings, you're going to look and you're going to know it immediately. And so supply-side liquidity is absolutely king in our industry. Kleiner did our Series A in 2014. So five years ago, we did our Series A and we had no traffic. We had 30,000 users a month, but we had accumulated basically every single listing in San Francisco and New York. Then we had more listings than anyone else. And we did our Series A entirely on that premise, Jason, of supply side liquidity is king. Don't ever create a barrier to it in the early days. Give it away for free. Build tools for those supply side uh, listing landlords to manage their business on Zumper even before Zumper had a single MAU. And then over time, uh, start to inch into the monetization. So we were strongly the latter. And I really believe that marketplaces get to liquidity first, typically. How did you get the information that was on Craigslist, you know, large part onto your platform? Is it legal to just copy it? Or do they try to stop you? Or did you have people in Manila or India just scraping the web and trying to normalize data and contacting people. How did you get those first 10,000 listings or whatever it was? Yeah, so just as we were launching, Craigslist were going after a bunch of competitors in our space, so we didn't touch Craigslist. We had to do it like the hard way. We knew that even if you crawled Craigslist, which we didn't, we knew that one day you'd have to build bottom-up your own business. So we kind of cut the middleman and just went to building it bottom-up. The biggest hack we had was building landlord tools. So ways for landlords to like create a listing on their phone, syndicate it to all the main sites and then bring the leads uh, back and do What did you call screening. that tool? Because it was Zumper Pro. Zumper Pro. And it was the single most successful product we built in the first two years, even though no consumers know about it. Yeah. So this is the uh, phrase, I don't know who came up with it, which is come for the tool, stay for the that's, marketplace. That's it. So you heard that at that time? I wish I'd heard that. I think yeah. we just made it up as we went. Right. We basically just uh, understood that we needed a reason for landlords to have listings on our platform, even though we had no MEUs to show them. And so we yeah. used to syndicate to Zillow, to Trulia, to Hotpads, all these platforms that could bring all the demand yeah. until the day where we got big enough. And then so, you're like, we deprecated the tool or? A, a tool exists. We just didn't need to syndicate it out. So oh. right now, Zumper landlords can get onto Zumper, PadMapper, this company we acquired, and also Facebook Marketplace, where we power a decent chunk of Facebook Marketplace's rental vertical. Oh, really? Is that like a, a specific deal with Facebook that yeah. you did? Yeah, we did. So we were one of their two launch partners and I think they were looking for like listing liquidity on their rental vertical. Uh, and so we pumped a bunch of listings there and they send the leads straight into our landlords. How does one negotiate with an 800 yeah. million pound gorilla like Facebook? They just tell you this is what we want and you say, yes, sir. Or do you actually come in and say, pay us? Or do they say, you have a chance to do this, pay us? So they were. Uh, so we had two good ins to them. One was uh, Jim Breyer, who sat on their Excel. board for a while, uh, exactly, and then of Breyer Capital, who invested in Zumpo, uh, ah. gave us an intro. So we had a good in. The, uh, the people we dealt with at Facebook were, I think, very humble. They knew that they had the ridiculously over kind of bazillion pound gorilla, but that they didn't have listing liquidity. And so actually, it really was when you dealt with marketplace, like dealing with another startup. And uh, actually, uh, there's no economic arrangement. We we send listings, they send leads. It's kind of like a win-win. Is there some fear that you give them the listings and then they study you like Google has done to many partners? Yep. Google studied Yelp. Google went down the road to buy Yelp. Then Google double-crossed Yelp. 
and just took their listings. When you go into a business relationship with that, how do you protect against something like that? Because now you've let you know, this giant company study how you do what you do. Do you have that fear? Or that, that someday they're going to go, because which is what they did to all their publishing partners. They're like, Bill Pages. Yep. And then they were like, yeah, okay, now you've spent a dollar to get, we did it. We spent a dollar to get Mahalo guitar playing yep. to get followers. So I was like, we'll spend $25,000 yeah. to get 20,000 followers. I was like, this is incredible. Yeah. Like 5,000 views per video. This is great. And then they were like, yeah, now you're getting 300 views yeah. per video and you have to pay to reach everybody. And I was like, I told Cheryl and some other folks there, I was like, why would anybody do business with your company if you pull the rug out like this? Do you have a fear like that with them? So the, how any, do you protect against that? Yeah, so any marketplace uh, has to be cognizant, whether it's Facebook, Google, or anyone else. It would be delusional to think that in the long term they're not going to be a competitor. Um, I think the way, the best way is to diversify your income stream. So for example, Zumpa now makes more money from transactional revenue than from lead gen revenue. And so actually it aligns us pretty well with these marketplaces that we're actually fine for them to make lead gen revenue because over time we're much more interested in the, the deep transactional tools that these companies are never going to build because they're very specific to our marketplace. What are the deep ones? You mean like charging people's rent through the system? Exactly. So Zumpa, for example, you can now uh, find an apartment on Zumpa pre-qualify using TransUnion. So we'll run your credit criminal and eviction. That qualifies you for apartments. You can leave a deposit, uh, close your lease through Zumper, and then pay rent uh, through our rails directly to your landlord. Oh. And so whereas some of these companies might get into the first one, which is, hey, build a search engine and monetize through yeah. leads, it's highly unlikely they're going to ever get into the yeah. bottom tools because they're very specific to our industry. And so actually, I think the best advice is actually align yourself with the thousand pound gorilla where it's kind of a win-win where actually if if facebook or google win in this space it might come at the expense of our direct competitors while we're off uh figuring right. out because you have such a deep integration that's the play yeah and, and then never... and you take a percentage of the rent or just pay a fee yeah so landlords either pay us for leads which is the classic marketing of yeah. like hey every lead we send you we'll charge you 10 bucks but most landlords pay us as a slice of the transaction so we disintermediate... what do you charge them for rent because rent's a big number so rent's a big number so if we do lots of work for them we might charge them with several weeks of rent as a commission uh if it's straight software we'll charge them maybe like one to two percent of their annual rent roll. so it's still like a good take but uh and we're creating yeah, a fifty thousand like, dollar lease yeah if it's a four thousand dollar a month apartment it's yep. fifty thousand dollars taking one percent is still five hundred dollars correct but five hundred dollars to not have to worry about collecting rent mm -hmm. is nothing to have it automated and clean yep and Small then imagine, price to pay. And imagine what you can add in. So we haven't announced any of this stuff yet, but think about like Airbnb success. And, you know, I think the biggest thing they ever offered was that insurance product where the first apartment got trashed and the next week they came yeah. out very quickly and said, right, we'll guarantee you up to a million bucks that your yeah. apartment won't get trashed. I'll that bet people are like marketing people, to meth heads. Like, uh, Mark, uh, please trash my apartment. <laughs> I need to redo it. <laughs> exactly. And I'll bet that they've probably paid that out like five times ever. But what an amazing underpinning of a marketplace with a financial instrument. There are similar things in long-term apartment rentals you can do like ensure the lease uh ensure the apartment ensure that the tenant won't skip uh so i think zumper is very interested in underpinning the marketplace with financial tools and i think you're seeing a lot of marketplaces do yeah. similar things i think it's that's that's the big unlock it's like okay transactional fees or whatever you know and getting the lead gen but then if you're so integrated into the business that yeah. a person can run their business through you that's it it's so delightful. That's it. We were investors in a company called Cozy. Oh, like yeah. 10 love, years love ago. Love those guys. Gino and the- Love Gino. They wound up selling. Um, Gino had a kidney transplant and he 
thank God it's okay. Um, but yeah, it was a crazy story. Uh, but they did something similar. They started right. without the marketplace. They just did those tools. You ran into them in the market? or Love Gino. So Gino is a friend of mine. Okay. So I would have bet on him all day long if I knew yeah. him. They sold a co-star for, I think it was disclosed. But anyway, they sold a co-star for tens did, of millions okay. of dollars last year. Yeah. And um, that's right. They built a SaaS tool that I think one day was going to build its own marketplace, but ended up becoming so successful as a SaaS tool that a marketplace picked it up to try and wedge it into yeah. the Exactly. Uh, Twenty two billion dollar company. Yeah. Uh so correct. So I think I think you've seen a lot of companies go after it. I think the real power is if you own the marketplace and you own the tools, I think you have an unfair advantage. Yeah. Um at the end of the show I'll I'll tell you my Airbnb my Airbnb having a party being thrown in it. I have an air <laughs> I have an Airbnb. How much did you claim on insurance? I'll tell you at the end of the show when we get back. Um, (laughs) What I want to know about, too, is this trend of people, when we get back from this quick break, the trend of people living together, young millennials not buying, home ownership going down. I think we're in the low 60s right now or something in that range. Historically, it's historically been right around that number. Peaked at 70%, I believe, during the financial crisis, or which caused the financial crisis. So I want to know when we get back, what is the actual number of who should own in your mind 70 broke the market 60 Hmm. might be too little where you think that is and then how young millennials and people think about owning versus renting and living together as well as this wacky um we live in these communal spaces and the impact they're having on the market when we get back on this week in startups Oh my God, you got to find better software. You got to find software that solves this problem, but you got a lot of things on your plate. Just like trying to find a great restaurant. Would you just walk the streets randomly and pick a restaurant? No. Pick out some Yelp or Zagat. You'd have some directory with reviews, right? Well, what if you could have that for software? Well, you do have that. It's there today with 700 specific categories of software and over 1 million reviews. It's called Capterra. That's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A.com slash twist it's free and it's going to allow you to pick the right software for the problem you have at work today uh here at launch we were looking for new sales automation software this is critically important for us to have sales automation and with captera we searched through all the reviews we set a bunch of filters i.e the number of employees we have at our company and uh, we created this great side-by-side comparison of all the different sales automation tools out there and i did this for a bunch of our startup companies in our accelerator we like this one called pipe drive somebody on the team found it on captera and said wait a second let's try this and it turned out it was the right tool for the right job and we've got a small boutique sales team and they love it it's the right size product for them other folks might want something more industrial strength something with an api well that's there too and that's why captera is the greatest service for finding the software you need right now and you're probably just doing what you've always known how do you know you're using the right software how do you know you're not getting ripped off and this thing's crazy expensive and there's a better solution at a better price out there well captera is going to do that for you thanks again to captera for supporting this week in startups i want you to go there right now i want you to thank them on twitter i want you to support our great partners because they are supporting this podcast over a thousand episodes we couldn't have done it without them captera c-a-p-t-e-r-r-a.com slash twist C-A-P-T-R-R-A dot com slash twist. Get those tools that you can use and make more informed decisions. All right, let's get back to this podcast. All right, the founder of Zumper. She's been around for seven years, raised a bunch of money. What did you raise, 50 million so far? 90 so far. 90 so far. 90 Look so at far, you. yeah. Uh, 200 employees. 200 employees. Raised 90. Um, 
revenue break even or close to it not yet break even um well how do you think about that in the age of masayoshi-san breaking uh (laughs) either breaking or making silicon valley in this last uh if you know your unit economics softbank money makes a lot of sense if you're ready to roll if if you know your numbers go for it um if you're not quite sure you've hit product market fit or your classic unit economics it's it's as you know uh it's risky to bet that much cash uh before you know the numbers yeah i mean we saw brandless shut down this week i had had tina sharkey on the podcast i love that idea do you you remember that idea i do i do uh i love the there's a company called public goods Mm -hmm. did we have them on the podcast public goods i can't remember um but that was like the competitor the small low funded competitor i think they're doing pretty solid i love this idea right yeah what do you love about the concept of like brandless and public goods and all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think their play was that there's this middle ground between like super kind of cheap stuff in like dollar stores and like really high end brands. And their, their their point was there's a millennial class that it's kind of contrarian, isn't like brand loyal, but wants like high quality goods that are reliable. I think I think that segment exists. Like, there was a lot of press about brandless that it doesn't exist. I, I think it oh, does. Oh, it does. It absolutely does. I think it was. I, I don't know enough we about the company. We loved it in our house. I ordered yeah. it three times. And it was fantastic because they were like, here's a bunch of candy. Here's a bunch of like goldfish. Here's a bunch of cereal. And they had looked and they said, listen, we're not going to make, we're going to make it for people who care about the ingredients who are kind of whole foods, good eggs kind of customers, gourmand slash care about the ingredients, care about how they're sourced, care about cruelty free, whatever. And then you get this box and it's all beautifully packaged. Yeah. And so when you open your cupboard, everything has no logos on yeah, it. it does, and it just looks nice and clean and everything's kind of stocked. It's like kind of this Gattaca. I like it on an aesthetic basis. Yeah, sure. Of like an aesthetic and not thinking. Like uh, Uniqlo, I don't know if you know that brand yeah, for clothes. Sure. Like that's really big with millennials. There's no logo. Yep, you just totally. buy your t-shirts. Totally. Such I, a great idea. The play's good. I, I, you see why SoftBank did it. I, yeah. uh, I had a lot of respect. I, I remember that deal, like, because no one was that familiar with Brandless when it when the yeah. deal was done. But the the concept's fantastic. Uh, I, someone on that, and they were going to put two hundred in. They did it in two tranches: a hundred million, yeah. then a hundred million. And I guess they blew through the hundred. Things weren't going the way they wanted, and then they pulled the second one hundred. Yeah. Which there's two sides to every story, or three or four probably. Rashomon. Uh, the, so I think that they probably, yeah didn't like what they saw but to your point about unit economics if you're uber and you know your economics and you can just tweak them anytime yep. you want like this idiot press right now the, the press is so dumb i mean it's unbelievable <laughs> like they're literally not all of them don't, don't at me on twitter but it's amazing to me that the press is like uber lost 33 cents a ride they lost 52 cents a ride on 1.7 billion mm. rides ask yourself if you had to pay 40 cents more or 60 cents more, wouldn't you do that? Or would you then go try to hail a cab or take the bus? Of course, you're not changing mm. your behavior. Yeah. And what does Dara do? He's like, yeah, okay. You don't want us to grow at the highest possible rate? Okay, yeah, well, we can change the prices. And we can get out of markets that aren't profitable. We can stop investing in markets and we can stop the discounts. And what happens? All of a sudden, it's like, oh, we'll be profitable in eight yeah. quarters, six quarters, four quarters, three quarters. Like, And then the stock pops. It's so ridiculous. There was an interesting comparison you posted yesterday, I think, between like Airbnb and Uber's like EBITDA in like two years' yeah. time that's now forecast, where like uh, Airbnb, which is such a unique kind of once-in-a-generation company, is unbelievable. You know, and it's it would be unbelievable in two years if Uber had better EBITDA margins or unit economics. No, it's almost Why? Like, Why would it be unbelievable? Uh, just because I think Uber's play was, you know, 
low contribution margins, but the volume is insane. Whereas right. Airbnb kind of had a bit of both where they had right. amazing contribution margins and amazing scale. Yeah. Um, well, but people don't go on vacation true. every day. True. They do Uber every day. Yep. True. So, or if you Uber 20 days a month, you're talking about somebody might do, what is the average? I wonder what the, their target segment of Ubers, how many rides they actually do a year? 200? Per, per person. Per person. 300? easily conceivable. At least like one a working day, easily. Easily. So let's yeah. put it at 250. Yeah. And then what's the Airbnb average consumer do? Three ta- three transactions a year? Yep. So if it was two or three nights each, it's 10 transactions. Yep. Um, but you know, do you know why this is happening? That Airbnb's margin's going down and Uber's is going up? Do you know why? Uh, I, I can think of a thousand answers. Well, what do you think? What yours. do you think they're doing in the boardroom at Airbnb right now that would cause that to happen? Well, I in, think, in, and because the IPO is coming, I mean, I think I have my theory. I want to hear yours. I think th- with the IPO, they've had to put in a bunch of stuff uh, that maybe slowed some of the spectacular growth. I think if they'd gone out. I don't know. I think they'd gone out like earlier when like there were more kind of people going out. I yeah. think they could have taken probably some wilder swings. They're, they're doing a lot of stuff, rightly so, on like trust and safety right now on Airbnb. Yeah. The regulators have come in. It's harder to grow supply. And I think then in the meantime, booking's gone at them and booking uh, is now. Oh, so you think it's the headwinds. This is an interesting theory. It is a bit of both. A little bit of headwinds. They got to slow down, make it safer. And yeah, if they if they get rid of the party house concept, maybe that's, I think party parties at airbnbs might be five percent of airbnbs in my mind i don't know what you think but i I put having run an airbnb i think it's about one out of 20 customers one out of 15 actually that's been my use is like you go on like a a reunion or something exactly so now when does a reunion tip over into a party yep so (laughs) at ours we're like 10 is the maximum number of guests we tell it to people three times and we tell them there's a camera in the at the front of the house that alerts us every time people show up if it goes past this number yeah, We're going to send somebody over and the neighbors are going to call the cops, so don't do it. I think what's happening at Airbnb is the headwinds are certainly something, but I don't think it's enough to slow it down. I think what happened was probably growth as they hit the natural audience. They might have started to have the growth rate slow. So then they said, wait a second, if we go public with the growth, what yeah. would you rather do? Have the growth rate be slower. So you were growing at 30% a year, whatever, 40% year over year, and now you're down to 30 would you rather take that hit or the margin hit? Mm. And I think a gambler would make the bet that we want to have top line growth to tell people, hey, we can always sure. work on the bottom line. For sure. We're growing share. We're growing share. It's a huge market. And But then Google and Lyft came out and they said, well, this is a road to nowhere. Prove to us that this, because all the press is saying this can never be a real business. And this is where I'm so upset at the press because I was part of the tech press. I was an entrepreneur and now I'm an investor. I did all three effing jobs. And I can tell you, having done all three, the founder has 100% data. The press has 7% of the data. And the investors have, what, 75 in the companies? Your investors know 75% of what's going on? 60, 80? Yeah, they should know the salient stuff. And they know the important they stuff. They don't need to know the small stuff. They're not in yeah. the company every day, yeah. so they don't know everything. So you just think about information, arbitrage, or whatever. The journalists know the least, but they're impacting... The market, yep. in some ways, the most. So these idiots, Professor Galloway or whatever that dipshit, you know, no skin in the game Galloway has to say, he's out there spouting off that Uber's not a real business. It's like, you're an idiot. One, I mean, what a moron. 1.7 billion people are using this. And then he was the same idiot who was like, Tesla's not a real business until like they sell a million cars. There's a reason why Professor Galloway is a professor and not an entrepreneur anymore. 
because he doesn't know what he's talking about, and he's just trying to say outlandish bullshit to try to get clicks and get more sponsors for his podcast. But the journalists don't know what they're talking about anymore. It's bonkers. Are you long, uh, you long Airbnb? Because I think. Oh my fix, god! Because I, 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 I think they're gonna have. I think it's gonna work. I think everything's gonna. Of course, be good. it's gonna yeah, work. I, it's totally changed yeah. the behavior of everybody yep. in the market. With totally. the only exception being like very affluent people who don't care about money and are old. Because I know affluent young people who are like, I can stay at the Four Seasons. I can stay at the yep. Ritz Carlton. I can stay at the Amman Hotel. I prefer an Airbnb because it's the same price, fifteen hundred yep. a night as the Amman Hotel, or eight hundred dollars a night, the same price as the St. Regis or Ritz Carlton. But I get a kitchen yep. and a living room and a backyard, and I like it better. Yeah, I mean, this is a fundamental shift. And when these old people die, who are too scared to be yeah. in an Airbnb because they think they're going to get murdered or there's going to be hidden cameras, when those people die, Airbnb is just going to go through the roof. Because these people who are the oldsters, you know, they may never get to it. They may never have the courage to try it. They may be set in their yep. ways. They may have mileage points for Bonvoy or whatever it is. I am so Watch out, Airbnb. Jason. So do I. I have legacy mileage points from Bonvoy as well. How Watch. many? What do you got? What uh, do you got? I have like a million. Well, hold on. You want? Oh. No, you're going to have more than me. You're going to have way more. You compare a little bit here. You have a million what? No, no, like maximum a million. And this is from like very old school SPG credit cards. That's spend. what I have. I have yeah, all my SPG points. You wanna, let's flop you... it. Let's flop it. Hold <laughs> no, on. I'm going my Bonvoy app I'm here. I'm glad Hold I didn't on. make a bet here, Jason, because I'm going to lose heavily. No, I'm like, I'm I checking my Bonvoy. 800,000. 800,000? Yeah. All right. That's legit. It's legit. Hold on. What's Jason? <laughs> what does it say? Up top, tiny font. Holy shit. Okay, 1.25 mil. 1.25 mil. Jason's taking us all that afterwards. There we go. That's right. I'm going. (laughs) Where are you going, Jason? To Santorini for the month. One night in Santorini. Santorini's expensive these days. What is 40,000 a night? It's ridiculous. I was was looking at my wife like last summer holiday. I think it's like a thousand bucks for like a semi good hotel a night now. Like Santorini Edge. I'd rather go to Spetsis or something like where the Greeks go. Yeah. yeah. Have you been to Spetsis? I have not. I'm like the fakest Greek. I grew up in London, have the long Greek name. Listen, I'm 25% Greek. Yeah. I feel 150% Greek in my heart. (laughs) I see from these cups. Uh, The one thing I'll say about Airbnb also, I'm curious to hear your take if there's time is. I think the supply shift is going to be really interesting on Airbnb. They were they were founded by peer to peer and like unique people selling to unique people. The property managers are huge on Airbnb, and the question for me, and I, again, I'm long Airbnb. I think they're going to be great. Is those property managers are they loyal to Airbnb or do they also post on HomeAway on VRBO? Yada, oh, yada. They, they they do both. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I do both. Majority of the traffic is on Airbnb. Yep. Um, and the Airbnb guests are better. Yep. The VRBO best have are generally like. We've only had like three or four issues in the history of doing it for like close to a year now, I think, uh, or maybe over six months. And the issue with the VRBO people is they call and they're like, I don't know how Apple TV and a Nest work. I kid you not. And I'm literally sending an assistant over there to show them how Nest works or saying, just text us and we'll change the temperature for you remotely. Yeah. They literally don't know how Apple TV works. They're like, you don't have cable. It's like, nobody has cable. You can put your Netflix in. You can just authenticate. Uh, I don't know my password. It's like, oh, my God. So I just think that's the difference. VRBO is like old school, old people, don't know how to do anything. And the Airbnb are just like hmm. tight. Hmm. I, that company is. No, I don't think you can get dislodged because you know what? Also, their take rate is so 
reasonable? Yes, it's not actually as much as you think. Yeah. It's reasonable. Then they average in the teens. Something like, like that. I mean, both, yeah. who cares? Yeah. Like, if they're in the app store, it takes 30%. Yeah, yeah, sure. If you're taking anything under 30%, yep. I think you're good. And to route around it, for us, we what we try to do is get reviews. So we leave uh, like a little gift basket, and then we send them a text nice. message on the way in with, here are our top five restaurants in the area mm-hmm. and links to them. Um, and if you need anything, let us know. Here's the top places to order from. So we give them almost like a little air of a cool. a, bi- a little bit of like a, a concierge type experience. Um, and then we always let them come early or stay late. Awesome. No matter, I mean, unless you have a guest, but we're just very like super nice to them. And then we just write them like three times. Hey, didn't see your review. If you could give us a review, that's really meaningful to us. And they write these amazing reviews and then your house just goes crazy. Once mm. you get past like 10 reviews, boom, instant book, instant book, instant book. Awesome. But awesome. You, you need to have the right house or the right apartment because if the, you know, in this Bay Area, it doesn't work in the Bay Area really because the houses are too expensive. Mm. So you get a $3 million house, you know, the carrying cost on that is whatever, yeah, yeah. 7% of the yeah. house is 200K. It means you got to be making like 15K to break even a month. That means you're going to be charging $500 yeah. a, a night. It's kind of hard. Yeah, it's real. It's real. I think it's way too hard. I think it's like certain towns, like college towns, visitor towns. Oh, Scott, you go to Scottsdale Airbnb is like the way. Oh, it's wonderful. You have any? Uh, no, uh, uh, yeah, friends who are not personally, them? but yeah, like like reunions when you go to Scottsdale because they're quite commoditized. The, uh-huh. the housing there and the, the the houses are amazing and they're made for weekends away. What is it doing to the rental market? Is that one of the reasons why rents have gone up? Is that the Airbnb market people doing that is taking inventory out? So it's definitely taking inventory out, and uh, I think they're being very careful with. Uh, not being seen to do that and not doing it. So they're, but they're doing it. They're, they're doing it a little bit. But how th- can they? How can they ever even claim that they're not doing it? So they're, they're, it is happening uh, from long-term apartment rentals for sure. But in the grand scheme of like what's happened to our city, sitting here in San yeah. Francisco with you, you know, we're in yeah. Soma. What's happening here is like, I mean, it's zoning. It's such a boring answer, but like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Thanks like, for doxing me, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, now people know I'm in Soma. <laughs> the right. founders in Soma looking lock, for me. Lock the doors. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, my wife and I have a place in a dog patch that we rent out. Long-term apartment rentals. Yeah. L- lovely place near the new Chase Center in the dog patch. Yeah. I want that to be massive development. I don't care what happens to my property value. It'll be fine. Like they need to build there. They've capped building in the dog patch, the dog patch at four stories high. That it's is, so dumb. It makes no sense. San Francisco sense. is so dumb. It makes no sense. I, when I'm mayor, mayorjason.com, I am going <laughs> to tell every developer, if you pay 10 years of taxes in advance this year, we will let you grow grow your building three times bigger than whatever the regulation is now. So four is now 12. But you got to go get some goddamn financing yep. and you got to pay me 10 years worth of taxes today. Then they I'm going to take all that money, put it in escrow to build better goddamn transportation and finish this Fakaka BART system, which they need to rip out and start over because they use their own custom-sized trains. We yep. need to use the standard trains from Europe and Japan and build a proper subway. What do you think of my plan? Would I get your vote if I said, we're going high, gonna be some shadows, some parks, not gonna have the same amount of sun, but we're gonna get all that tax revenue in advance to build a proper BART system that goes everywhere. The the barriers to going high, uh, the the arguments are pretty weak. 
um if you look at what's blocking the thing it's, it's shade it's one of two things it's local associations who are protecting home values or it's the politics between san francisco and sacramento where cities don't want to be dictated to by like the government Ugh. of california it is uh you know mayor breed said like interesting stuff I, I want her to be right like rent control if you take that was so well intended like rent control's intention was amazing it was yeah. to protect us as consumers yeah. and as renters yeah. and it, combined with zoning laws and some of the other things going on it has also led to the state we're in where there's just no new supply on market and no one's moving and we can't build enough supply i mean we're building like a quarter of the supply but there are there there is demand all right let's go through the actual rental report when we get back after this last break and also i i didn't uh, get the answer on the what you think of these clubs and we live and micro apartments when we get back on this week at startups you know it costs at least five times as much to acquire a new customer as it does to keep an existing one. Your existing clients are your best new clients. Don't lose them. And a startup, especially ones in the SaaS space, that's software as a service, enterprise they call it sometimes as well, building relationships with your customers is everything. And without having those rabid, raving fans, those net promoter score nines and tens who are advocates for you, your business does not stand a chance because other people have curated and built those deep relationships to have advocates in the market selling your product when you're asleep or working on something else. But you can't earn raving fans with basic software that treats customers like a ticket. They don't want to be a ticket. They want to be an individual. Help Scout was created to fix that problem. It's a customer service platform designed with your customers in mind. No ticket numbers or robo-emails, just conversations with real people. Their all-in-one product includes shared inboxes for email, built-in live chat, and a help center for self-service content, which can be embedded on your website in just minutes. As your business scales from 100 to 10,000 to a million customers, Help Scout grows with you and leaves customers with a delightful human experience. Over 10,000 of the world's most customer-centric businesses, like Basecamp, Trello, Figma, Superhuman, and Zapier, are using Help Scout to talk with their customers and build that deep bond and turn them into super fans. Eligible startups under $1 million in funding, less than two years old, can access everything Help Scout has to offer for only $50 a month. For your first year, visit helpscout.com slash twist to learn more. That's helpscout.com slash twist to get started today. And thanks to my friends at Help Scout for supporting independent media like This Week in Startups. It means a lot to the fans of this show and to me and my team. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, Anthemos Yoriadis is here with us. He is the CEO and co-founder of Zumper. You got Andreessen Horowitz, I, I just found out, as an investor. They were a very small seed investor. Very small seed investor. Jeff Jordan and Andreessen. Oh, Jeff Jordan. Dan Horowitz was listening to a live streamer. I just texted me. He said he wants to call and ask you a question, so we'll do that at the end. Um, what do you think of all this live work, um, we live ideas? I really thought that this could be something with micro apartments i got obsessed with it micro homes Mm -hmm. was looking for an investment we wound up investing in blockable.com which builds modular housing in factories slightly different than micro apartments or these adus accessibility dwelling units or whatever what impact are those going to have in the future on cities and do you think those are a good thing for us to pursue with this housing crisis micro apartments we live clubs yeah great question uh in uh constrained supply constrained cities like san francisco new york um austin yeah i see it like i i i've helped a couple of investors who've looked at opportunities here and like there's definitely demand and there's an arbitrage pay right just like master lease something chop it into smaller bits and lease it again to kind of people renting yeah um do i think it will work in the rest of america which isn't supply constrained because most u.s rental markets or real estate markets are kind of one for one 
there's there's no crazy imbalance of demand and supply. We just happen to live in a crazy imbalanced city. Um, unclear. Maybe. Um, it, millennials are still, to your earlier question, highly footloose. Don't even necessarily want to commit to a 12-month lease, uh, let alone anything longer. So I'm kind of long on it in the first 10 cities that they've all focused on in the We Lives and the Commons. Uh, totally buy it. The biggest challenge for them, I think, will be does this work in Lansing, Michigan, or, or does it need to work in like smaller cities, or is there right. enough supply where you can have your own place? But the reason I think is interesting is if you think about low-cost value products like Lyft, Line, or Uber Pool, um, and just saving money and being frugal in order to have for the for the millennials and these Gen Zs who really value lifestyle. Part of the having this um, epic lifestyle is not having a big burn rate. Yep. So in a place like San Francisco, micro apartments or Manhattan, New York, or Hong Kong, a micro apartment, which I think is 150 square feet to 250 square feet. Yes, that's right. Yeah. 350, I think, was the limit in New York that you weren't allowed to build less than that because mm. they didn't want families mm. living in under 350 yeah. square feet, but they didn't realize that there would be single people all mm. over the place. So the reason to have that here would be somebody could pay $2,000 instead of, what is the average rent in San Francisco now? $3,700 for now, one bed. Is that number legit or yeah. does that include like these $5,000 high-end apartments it that has, skew it? So Zumpup has pretty much every listing in San Francisco. To be clear, these are vacant listings being advertised on Zumpup right now. So okay. this is not saying your neighbor who's been in their apartment for seven years is paying $3,700. Um, the last report, yeah, oh, it came, it here came it is. down a little. Um, to 3520. New York is 3000. Boston, yeah. 2500. San Jose, 2400. Los Angeles, 22. Los Angeles seems high to me. Um, and San Diego, 1750 for a one bedroom. Yeah, it's, San Francisco has been above New York for several years now. It's, yeah. it's actually narrowing a little, but there's no signs that anything's going to flop. The difference here is in New York, that's New York, New York. Five boroughs. Five yep. boroughs. Yep. Now, here's the thing. If you live in New York and you live out in Flatbush or Crown Heights, yep. that number is not 3,000. It's correct. 1,400? 1,500. Yeah, this is very bimodal. This is yeah. a very bimodal average. You've got a bunch of people in Manhattan paying 5.5K and a bunch of people in Queens paying 2K. Right. And they can each use the city equally yep, correct. because of? Transportation. Transportation. Yeah. And that's what's missing here is I lived on the last stop, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Yep. But I could go to Manhattan. It just took me 20 or 30 more minutes. But same train yep. that the people on the Upper East Side took. Yeah. So I had to suffer like an extra 30 minutes. Boo-hoo for me as a young person. I didn't care. Still part of it. Once I got to the limelight, once I got to the Palladium, once I got to Manhattan, the Roxy, the Tunnel, all these great clubs yep. back in the day, yep. it didn't matter to me if it took me 20 more minutes and I was in the club. <laughs> like It was lit. Yeah. You didn't remember on the way back. Fuck, I care yeah. if it took me 20 extra minutes on the subway. <laughs> and you know what? I took the subway home at four in the morning, five yeah. in the morning. We'd go get, we would go to Florent and get a steak frites. It's safe as well. I, I lived in New York as yeah. well. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as long as you're not dumb. I mean, yeah. if it's yeah, you don't after midnight, go yeah. to the middle sure. car where the conductor is. Yep. Or the first car where the conductor is. That's all. If you're alone. Now, if you had micro apartments, what would they be in each of these top cities, you think, as a percentage? of cost what do you think that would actually cost to do because the average apartment is five six seven hundred square feet eight hundred yeah. yeah sure what's a one bedroom nine hundred yeah eight hundred eight hundred yeah so you could probably get that down you could probably have two micro is that right two for one you think 
Yeah, roughly. I think, I mean, there are people in San Francisco, to use us as an example, uh, against the 3520 you'll pay if you take a one bedroom. There are people in co living spaces paying just over a thousand bucks. What? Yeah. So that goes back to my other question I wanted to talk to you about. Explain what's happening in co living, legally, illegally. What have you seen? Don't, don't rat anybody out. No, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, uh, I think the jury's out. I've seen, I think the two trends I've seen, and some of these people uh, use Zumper to generate demand for co-living. Uh, I think uh. we see large consumer demand. Uh, if I was a VC, I'd probably, and I haven't seen any of their decks, but I think I've seen unproven uh, economics, uh, long-term liabilities. Uh, what does that mean, long-term liabilities? Uh, the, I mean, landlords aren't like willingly just like giving up their spaces for this kind of risky thing. There's a bit of capex. You've got a whole bunch of kids moving in, so a lot of these companies. I think we live was doing this very early, uh, taking master leases on like buildings. So you're taking like tens of millions of dollars per building sometimes yeah. of liability on your balance sheet because you're promising them like ten-year leases. Ah, I don't know if that's like mm. how I'd sleep well at night. Now, it's, it's a great business model for some. Uh, I don't think it's a great business model because even if you had like a six-bedroom mansion in the suburbs and you're renting it for 12K yep. and you fit six people in it, it's 2000 a person. You're living in a mansion. You get a backyard and a pool. That's kind of cool. Yep. But there's no profit there. Yep. So I don't think it's profitable as a business in and of itself. But I, maybe micro apartments at scale, if you were building or renovating buildings, that could work. That could work. And I think that's the key point is you kind of got to design it for like exactly the community you want to build. But look at hotels. Like when I stay in Manhattan now to go to our New York, Zumpers New York office, I stay in like a hotel I think called the Arlo where basically the yes, it's, the rooms are tiny. You can touch care. the wall yeah, I don't care. from your bed. Exactly. And, and it's not even that cheap, sadly, but it's like cheaper than like it's the ridiculous It's 300 or 400 yeah. instead of 800. Correct. I got the tip. The one you. in Tribeca, right? Yeah. yeah. I, 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 when I was, you know, on a budget, I was doing that. Uh, but you can afford to stay at the Ace Hotel, yeah. pretty easy, yep. and those are bigger rooms, funky. Yep. And then I like the Beekman. Have I've you stayed never, at Beekman? I've stayed at the Ace and never stayed at the Beekman. You're, you're ready for the Beekman. I, you're right. on the what you, Series CD. You can All go right. Beekman. Beekman's cool. going to be like 600 a night. The rooms are gigantic. Mm. Great restaurants downstairs. Great lobby. You treat yourself. Cool. The extra 300 to a 300 a night for you. You go in for five nights. You spend the extra 1500. You feel like a million bucks walking out of the place. You got to have that swagger. Yeah. Yeah. You can't be staying in a real, like when you're grinding it, yes. But you're going into big meetings now. Yep. I'm going to a big meeting, I'm taking Uber Black. You're taking Uber Black. If I'm going to an important meeting, <laughs> I got to show up at an Uber Black. Gets me in the right mindset. Cool. You know what I'm saying? What did you take to this meeting, Jason? What did you take? I, drove, I self-drove <laughs> my Model 3. Yeah, I, I took a, my UberX. It was good. <laughs> you UberXed it. I UberX most times. I UberX when I was at Park City. Yep. I had the craziest experience. I for some reason, I thought Park City would be better to have an SUV and a four-wheel drive one because I was in Park City. And I was like, you know, I've been there when it gets snowed out. Yeah. You can't – it's hard to get taxis and all that stuff. But I know Uber's there. but And they probably have snow tires. But I just want to have my own car in case I have to zip around to different mountains or whatever. I was there for like a couple of days. I get to the Hertz counter. And the guy's like, oh, you have SUV? I was like, yeah, I got an SUV. He's like, which one do you want? You want this one? I've got a Wrangler. It's really great. I was like, yeah, I never drove a Wrangler. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the Wrangler. Then he's like going through my bill. And he goes, okay, Wrangler. Okay, yeah. And then there's like a $100 upcharge for the Wrangler. I, was like, yep. I said, wait, 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 hold on. Five minutes ago, you said, pick which one you want. I picked that one. You told me I had an SUV. I picked an SUV. He's like, yeah. I was like, but you're charging me $100 extra, so my $275 bill is now $400? He's like, well, yeah, that's how we're trained to do it. I was like, give me the manager. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I'm that guy asking for the manager. And I said, I just want to be clear. And I don't mean to get you in trouble. But is, in fact, the policy... 
to not tell people about the upcharge until five minutes later? Yeah. He goes, yes, that's our policy. I was like, <laughs> do you realize how dishonest that policy is? Somebody yeah. clipped this and at mentioned to the Hertz CEO and Hertz support, you guys are hated for a goddamn reason because of these stupid shenanigans like fill up the gas. Are you going to fill up the gas or are we going to charge you $8 a gallon? This is why you're hated. And this price gouging stupidity of upselling me, yep. but not telling me it's an yeah, upsell, yeah. and Baden switching me, and then charge, and, he, and they really went by the hundred real fast. He's like, okay, so this is insurance, this is they should decline this, and the hundred dollars for the upgrade and the gas. And I was like, whoa, hold, hold on, we rewind a second. Twenty twenty, still happening. Still what happening. Ha- what happens? Hertz yeah. is still a horrible company that needs to burn to the ground. And so I <laughs> said to the guy, I said, on principle, I said, hundred dollars did not matter to me, and I actually really want to drive a, a Wrangler because I'm thinking about getting one. I said, on principle, I'm ordering an Uber right now, and I'm going to rip up my restoration. He goes, I, I understand. Hmm. He goes, we get this a lot. I was like, okay. So if you work at Hertz, somebody please clip this, a fan of the show, and just troll Hertz with this clip. Your company is going to die because of these shenanigans. It's just horrible behavior on these parts. Why don't you zip, Kai? I know what happens to them, but why don't you just the dream of – I think that we were promised get to an airport, walk three minutes – open a zip car bounce and i did I know, it i did silver a... car one time oh that's right silver car was it, great it's still still going it's still going and i did it one time in la because i was like i wanted to try an audi i'd never driven an audi either i like trying i like cars yeah, yeah sure and i was like you know what i'm going to be here for like a week and i'm going to be driving everywhere i was going to mount back and forth to malibu in fact and i was like it's just a pain in the neck to i get car sick in ubers i get car sick in the back seat or even the front seat. If I'm driving, I don't. I like to drive. So I was like, let me get an, uh, an Audi convertible, see what that's about. And I tried silver car. Mm. They're off the airport. Yep. You get there, your car's sitting there. And they're good You cars, order an right? app. Yeah. They're beautiful yeah. Audis, brand new. You don't have to talk to anybody, which is the key. And they, you know what you're paying, which is a key. Silver car needs to destroy Hertz. Mm. And it would be, the only thing better would be is if they just charge you 50 bucks extra to come pick you up like yep. an Uber. Yep. And th- yeah, I would have. Be, that's a great idea. That was what I would have done. I would have been like, instead of a hundred dollars a day, because I think they just charge a hundred twenty bucks a day or a hundred straight. Insurance is all in it. Gas yeah, is all in it. Th- how are we not there? That should be commonplace. I, I agree. It's just like the abuse of the customer. The only companies that abuse customers are old ones. We have hired CEOs who aren't the founders, who are scared of losing their job, so they do. They maximize profits instead of maximizing joy and being leaders. Because if you're a hired CEO. You're on a contract, and the contract lasts X years. You don't have yep. founder authority. So you think that these little micro-apartments are going to become a thing? What's the worst thing you've seen with these um, people living in group settings legally or whatever? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think there's been – I think there were a couple of press articles about, like, just gigantic uh, social issues. Because at the end of the day, you're putting a bunch of – and take San Francisco. You're putting a bunch of very, often very well-educated – Fractious people in a house together, uh-huh. and it's kind of a recipe. I, I think there've been a couple of like huge uh-huh. divides and like packs of you know cliques going around them. I've had a couple uh-huh. of incidental stories, not what you might expect from putting a bunch of millennials together. But uh, I think, and then who's on the lease? Does one person take the responsibility for the lease, and then they live for free by subletting? I think the people? startups on the lease. The startups are on the lease, and then they're they're kind of subletting their lease or subdividing their. But lease they're not even tenants. telling the landlord. I bet. I don't know. I don't know, but it's They're probably not. There's a play. It's a hard execution, but someone's gonna, someone will figure it out and build a really valuable business. I, I don't know to your point if it's the capex side or it's the operational side, or you need to do both. And then we live. I just haven't. I mean, 
Who knows what's happening? Haven't heard anything about it in the the most recent months, and hard to know if that's going to be of any focus as they try and put it back. Let's get back to San Francisco specifically as we wrap up here. But what is San Francisco's destiny at this point? Because it does seem like it backed off. Remote work now is letting people stay home, so a lot of people are downsizing their office space because it got too expensive. They're letting people work from home. The super commuting phenomenon is there, but I think people are starting to work three or four days in the office or two, three, four days in the office, two, three, four days at home. Is it, and that's an adaptation to how bad it is. Is there any solution for this city to do what like Houston or Seattle did where they added a large number of units, do you think? Or is it just too broke to fix? So, yeah, so I'll give you a kind of a split answer. So, am I right about Seattle and Houston figured out they added they, a ton of units? Correct. And they've been very quick to do it as well. Yeah. Um, How so, did they do it? Do you know? I, I I think that they zoning has been a – it's just not an issue in the way it's a micro issue here because here you have to get like micro supports for zoning ah, changes. And there's no reason to like do Houston, that if you're – I mean, Texas is more like broad brush and yeah. if we're going to do it, we're going to do it. We're going to take a macro approach yeah. and like everyone will benefit. I understand. My, uh, I'm a British immigrant to San Francisco. I love the city and I'm like long on it. My core team in Zumper will always be in San Francisco. There is – it's impossible to imagine we're going to build our company in San Francisco. Uh, the core team will always be here. We already have far more Will people. they? The core team, I think, will be here uh, for this one. I think we'll finish the job for Zumper in San Francisco. We, our Scottsdale office will have more people than our San Francisco office probably by the end of this year. Of course. And we have a great office in Rhode Island. We have a great office in Chicago, in New York. We have remote folks on the sales team. Um, I never used to say that. I loved hunkering down, having the yes. team together. It's implausible to think our next 100 hires are going to come in the Bay Area. It's it's not just the cost. It's not just the fact that the big Googles and Facebooks are going to hoover up all the office space. It's also the talent. Like, there is real talent outside San Francisco, but all of us here are so cocky and think that just because yeah. we moved to Silicon Valley, my, all of us included, that, oh, this is where, every, where all the brains are. Oh, my goodness. Go talk to someone in Scottsdale yeah. or Rhode Island who hasn't had the opportunity to work in a Silicon Valley startup and now does. They're so smart and they care so much. They're getting the best of both worlds. Yep. They're getting the equity yep. in a company that's high growth in a place where trillion dollar, hundred billion yep. dollar companies are made. <coughs> There's no trillion dollar companies, hundred billion dollar companies, with the exception of Microsoft and Amazon, two very notable exceptions outside of this area. So it's very hard to do, but I think people are starting to realize Wait a second. What is the point of making one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year being an engineer if I have to pay eighty thousand in rent, or yep. I can't ever buy a home? Whereas, I could, if I made one hundred twenty-five living in Nashville or Rhode Island, I mean, in Rhode Island, getting paid a Silicon Valley city yeah. salary, live in Rhode Island, you're going to be like the mayor. You're Our be second like the, engineering office is in Providence, Rhode Island. Brilliant! How, how awesome! Delightful is that? place to live. It's amazing. The quality of life is amazing, and they're you're telling me people. you haven't thought about with the crime homeless issue slash addiction issue because i think framing it as a homeless or poverty issue is maybe not accurate because according to the report i read and some people won't say this publicly but a number of people who are very high up said to me jason uh, i'll just leave it at that this actually isn't a homeless or a poverty issue it's an addiction and a mental health crisis not a poverty issue, but people are looking at it as a poverty issue because it has in the past been a poverty right. issue people were homeless because they didn't have the money for a home now people are homeless. I, ostensibly, they don't have money for home, but they if 70% of them are addicted to drugs or suffering from mental illness, which is what the report said in San Francisco, well, maybe if they could solve the addiction or the mental health, they actually wouldn't be homeless because it's not poverty that's the problem. 
It's the mental illness that's the problem and the self-medicating that's a problem. So we're framing it as homeless. You yourself haven't thought, do I even want to be in this high-tech state anymore? You haven't considered Austin, Miami, Nevada, beyond Lake Tahoe and not paying state tax and not doing this. You, you didn't think about pulling the ripcord? So it's a good question. So no, like I, my, I have a two-year-old kid, my wife's here, and I love the city. And I think like you and I and the, your listeners and so many people being here and helping solve the problem and trying yeah. to get the right people elected and donating mm. to solve the problem, I think is good because if, if a bunch of the brain power left and left the problem behind, I think that doesn't solve, you know, we're, we're not going to help anyone. There are some cool charities here, like Miracle Messages. I don't know if you've ever come across Kevin. They do some amazing stuff using videos to reunite homeless people with their families in like different states. What is that called? Called Miracle Messages. Check it out. It's amazing. That's awesome. There's we some were... really modern approaches. So wait, wait. They make a video of the homeless person. They find the people yep. who are in their original circle who might be able to support yep. them and it's... say, here's a video it's of amazing. your friend Jason who hit hard yep. times. And then that might inspire them to intervene. That's it. So bring example, them home. We, uh, my wife and I, have donated to it, and we miracle mile, miracle messages. Uh, this is brilliant. And and we we donate Zumper's time every quarter to literally going onto Market Street, and and it's done with class because I think sometimes you know the idea of a videographer from a tech background going out. Video oh, it's easy be, to be cynical oh, about, like, and, and like that could be a disaster. But they do this with with grace. It's only opted in, and so they basically find people who say came from Michigan originally, who are now living on the streets for whatever reason. Yeah, and then they have. A team of volunteers including Zumpa members who I'm so proud of who will then go onto that Lansing Michigan like uh, Facebook page post the video and find someone uh, who's oh, related now sometimes so it doesn't work sometimes there's no it reunion. only has to work one out of ten times to me make it worthwhile correct and I the video takes $500 to make that's it I think they just crossed 200 reunions and it is an amazing thing so I think tech do they has- videotape the reunion they do Oh, oh you got to check it out. Miracle I mean, Messages. It's I'll actually tear-jerking. It's amazing. That, that to me, you know what video gets me? When the, the soldier comes home. Yep. And they come home early. Yep. And then they show up at their kid's soccer game. No, it's insane. Yeah. You ever see those? Or they're uh, at the airport? It's, it's insane. As a Brit who's not used to these, it's like- Oh, so man, I, get, I cry every time. It's, it's, it gets you every time. Oh, you're a Brit? You have no emotion? Is what you're saying? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I know. Well, I work like, with Sir Charles. Like Trust me, bury, I know about it. Bury them bury deep, deep down. Very deep. Stiff upper lip. Stiff upper lip. Exactly. That's the way to do it. I, Charles, I mean, I haven't <laughs> seen the guy cry yet. So basically, I love San Francisco. I think we should solve the issues from here. For my next startup, would I do it in San Francisco or elsewhere? I uh, don't know. Coin toss. Uh, 50-50 you would. I, you I, might think LA, right? I, LA's, I, I, LA's the tech so scene dope. in LA has... Ugh. I like being the underdog. I, I wish I was like in LA. A, there's an underdog vibe in LA where you go there and people hear you work in tech and they think you're an idiot. They're like, why would you work I in I spent tech? 10 years there. I yeah. loved it. It's a, it's a, it's it's oh, kind of getting there. It's the best lifestyle. No, it's there. It's there. It's there. I'm 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 excited Love about LA. what's going I on. I mean, I might pull the ripcord at some point and go back. If I had the TV show right now... Yep. I would have done it. I had a TV pilot yep. with NBC didn't get on air, thank God, because the producer <laughs> was Harvey Weinstein. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a problem. Um, thank God. I mean, can you imagine? Like, and great you want to know the terrible for me, and um, you, this is the stupidest, craziest thing. When we did it, my you know attorneys were like negotiating. I had the same attorney as... Um, uh, Mark Cuban introduced me to who does his Shark Tank negotiations. We're doing my negotiations with the Weinstein company. I never told the story. Uh, and they fought to give me a credit for my title card. And then one of my title cards was Harvey Weinstein, Jason Calacanis, executive producer or co-creators or whatever. 
so on the same card. And like, they're like, Harvey doesn't share a card and blah, blah, blah. But this is a big deal. He's going to share the card with you yep. as co And I was like, oh my God, I just think back to it. I was talking to my wife. I was like, can you imagine like the shows on the air? Because he did Project Runway too. Oh yeah. And I think they took his name off the title cards. Mm. But I would live in LA if I had the show going halftime maybe. And they'd be up here at halftime. There's good stuff. I mean, you see it in your, oh, in, so in your incubators. And there's, there's great stuff coming out of LA. Yeah, I mean the Ringer just sold for yeah. I think two fifty, yeah, yeah. and yep. he lives in Manhattan Beach. I mean he's pretty public about that. I'm not doxing him. Um, did we miss anything? I don't think we missed anything. Miracle messages, I love that. Check out miracle messages. It is. I got to get behind that. Hey, hey uh, producer Nick and uh, Sir Charles, can we just take a memo here? F- figure out if this is uh, as legit as uh, Anthemos yeah. is saying here, and let's get that person on the pod when we do our you know that secret project X thing we're doing. Um, all right, hey, quick call from uh, Ben Horowitz. We got him on the line. Can we just yeah, dial him up? I got, I gave, I texted you his uh, personal number. Just dial up Ben Horowitz. Hold on, he's got something to say. He had a question for you, Anthemos. Hold on. Hello, you've reached the offices of two-time New York Times best-selling author Ben Horowitz. He's not available right <sighs> now. Please again, Ben. I just text Ben. Ben, it's Jason. No, I'll, I'll see you at the Warriors game tomorrow night. But I got your guy on the pod. You said to call you back. All right. You know what? We'll have bet on next time. We ran out of time. Uh, all right. He we'll- sent you a question, though, if you want to read it. Oh, he did send the Oh, is a question on the text? What's the, what's the question? Read it out to me. Oh, here we go. Dear Jason, going to New York soon as the former king of New York. Thank you. What hotel dining recommendations do you have? Love the show. Thanks, Ben Horowitz. Um, uh, I think for Ben, uh, yeah, I mean, he's hip. He's, uh, yeah, you know. I, I'm going to go with the Beekman as a hotel. I think it's pretty cool to be downtown. Uh, you might want to try some of the hotels, Gansford, whatever, in the um, in the meatpacking. And then uh, in terms of um, uh, food, go to Decoy, uh, which is a Peking duck place in the West Village. And uh, I'll hook you up with the owner. All right, Ben, I'll see you at the, at the Warriors game uh, in the uh, owner's box. Uh, all right. Thanks for coming on the pod. Sorry, Ben, couldn't get through. We tried to get through to him. Uh, And uh, we'll see you all next time. If you're looking to rent Zumper, Z-U-M-P-E-R. And if you're looking for a job, Providence, work from home, sales, developers, everything. Hiring for everything. On fire. If you go public, what year would it be? Three years time. Three years time. All right. Maybe I got to get in on that. Maybe J-Cal got to get a little slice. All right. We'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.